Okay, Judges. Judges chapter 14. Judges chapter 14. Samson, 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 Samson. Let's pray before we talk about Samson. My son, by the way, is named after Samuel, not Samson. Just, just thought I'd say that. Not that there's something wrong with naming your son Samson. Samson, who has the Spirit of God permanently dwelling inside of him, wow. That's an exciting prospect, but he didn't all the time, but from time to time, the Spirit of God fell mightily upon him. But let's pray before we begin. Father, we thank you in Jesus' name for uh, this time, Lord, where there's just so much to take in from the book of Judges, and Lord, it's a book like no other. It's so distinct, and um, it, it has the the unique aspect to it that it can either depress us or greatly encourage us depending upon whether we're really looking at it from, um, from, from your eyes, Lord. And so we, we want that this evening. And we love the warnings from the book of Judges. And we also like just the love to see the demonstrations of your great power. And... We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week, chapter 13 of Judges, it was the story of the birth of Samson and his coming was heralded, kind of like John the Baptist and Jesus. It was... uh, the, the parents uh, found out beforehand about uh, the coming of his birth and the angel of the Lord who, as we discussed last week, is none other than Jesus Christ came to his father and mother and told them, among other things, that they would, there would be a child born to them and that this that they were supposed to dedicate the child to be a Nazarite from birth. Now, we know from number six, that means three things. Numbers chapter six says you could take a, a, a special vow of consecration uh, to the Lord. But when you did, no razor was supposed to come to your head, um, and you were forbidden to eat a grape or any extract of a grape. Of course, that included um, wine, and it extended to any alcohol. And then you were not allowed to touch a dead body, which really means touch an unclean thing, those three things. And uh, most of the time, the Nazarite vows were just temporary vows that someone would make for just uh, a period of time, but uh, other there's three instances in the old uh, three instances in the Bible 
Samuel, Samson, and John the Baptist, who their parents did them the favor of uh, dedicating their life to the Lord with a, with a Nazar- Nazarite vow. And so we saw the birth last uh, week, and in chapter uh, 14, at the word of chapter, uh, it says in chapter 13, verse 24, it says, The woman bore a son and called his name Samson, and the child grew, and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to move upon him at Mahanath Dan between Zorah and Eshtal. Chapter 14, verse 1, Now Samson went down to Timnah and saw a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. Let's read on a few verses. So he, he went up and told his father and mother, saying, I have seen a woman in Timnah of the daughter of the Philistines. Now therefore get her for me as a wife. And then his father and mother said to him, Is there no woman among the daughters of your brethren or among all my people that you must go and get a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? And Samson said to her, Get her for me, for she pleases me well. So Samson, we many of you um, have know something about Samson. Um, he is um, a man who really <laughs> lived um, according to the flesh, according to what his senses told him uh, to live by. And right here, really, um, after his birth, from the very beginning, um, we see what's going to characterize his life, which is... Um, just he has a weakness um, for, for women, and particularly women who weren't even uh, Israelite women, they were Philistine women. Now, more likely than not, the reason he uh, was particularly attractive to Philistine women is because um, they probably, more likely than not, dressed immodestly and had other ways of attracting and seducing uh, uh, men to them. And uh, just from the very beginning here, we, we see him uh, violating the law of Moses. Remember the book of Judges, it, the whole book really, um, except maybe the very beginning with the, the Judge Othniel, is just um, a, a lesson to us, the lesson to the church, not only ours, but the whole church, um, but also to our nation of what a nation does when it turns its back on God. We have these ideas that we can only get so low. Um, I would venture to wage a large bet, but I won't do that because my wife doesn't like me even saying that, actually. But if, if uh, 20 years ago, if we knew what was going on today and what was being legalized and what we were using the legislative bodies of our country to legalize sin and to protect sin, uh, we wouldn't have even believed it. And, and, and yet we're, we... You know, the Lord is always calling us into a sense of urgency in prayer, a sense of urgency uh, in evangelism, and, and uh, b- because 
um, the Lord knows, we don't, but certainly the Lord knows just how quickly men can depart from him and even his church can depart from him uh, when they're not following the word of God. And, you know, the byword in the book of Judges is what? In those days, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And so um, we've seen some really, really terrible things already in the book of Judges, uh, things uh, committed even by the children of Israel that um, they only a generation er earlier, they probably would have, or certainly in the generation of Joshua, no one would have even imagined them going that low or their leaders going that low. We've already seen them doing that. Uh, we're going to be seeing a lot more than that. But here you have a judge, a judge of Israel. Remember, the, uh, the book of Judges not talking about uh, uh, supremely about a judge with a gavel who's behind a judge's bench and um, ruling on, on law. That's only a fraction of it. It's, it's more the leader, a temporary leader, a leader who was not a king. In other words, their son or didn't become king or their daughter didn't become queen. It was a, a temporary leader. And so um, at, from the very beginning, from the very beginning, we see him wanting to marry a woman of the Philistines. And it's like, what is wrong? What? what? God, why would you be raising up uh, someone like this. Well, more on that later. But um, clearly, this is against the law of Moses. Deuteronomy 7, verses uh, 3 and 4. Uh, Instruct the Israelites, you shall not make marriages with the nations that uh, are in the land you are going into. You shall not give your daughter to their son, nor take their daughter for your son. For they will turn you, your sons away from following me to serve other gods, so the anger of the Lord will be aroused against you and destroy you suddenly. In the, I'm not going to talk a long time about this, but um, it, because I've seen so much pain in this area, it's, it's worth me bringing up at least every uh, four or five months in, in one sermon or another. But in the New Testament, it's clear as day, um, uh, a believer should in no circumstances ever uh, marry an unbeliever 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 39 um, says this, A woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes, but he must belong to the Lord. Now, that's pretty clear, isn't it? <laughs> 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14, this is a more familiar verse. It says, Do not be yoked, tie yourself together with an unbeliever. It's as clear as day. If anyone ever comes to you and says, you know, uh, there's this guy or this, uh, this woman, and, and, but I know the Lord has given me signs, and he even had, I, I went into a church somewhere, they even prophesied that I'm supposed to marry uh, this person, that the Lord wants to marry this person. You can tell them they did not hear from the Lord. That is not the Lord's will. You're, you're not hearing from the Lord. You're hearing maybe from the devil, but you're not hearing uh, from the Lord. So much pain uh, we have seen over the years by uh, people get becoming unequally yoked. And so, but he, 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 he wants, he, you know, he sees one of the daughters um, of the Philistines. Uh, they, they were, you know, a very sensual people, the women dressing sensually, uh, this kind of thing, a modestly. And, uh, you know, I, I, 
it's, uh, I just want to say at the very outset here, I was just in prayer before, uh, before the message here, and you know, in Genesis chapter 3, when Satan tempted Eve, and he said to her, he came to her and, and said, has God really said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And she responded, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat, nor shall you touch it lest you die. And the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Verse 6 says, so the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and desirable to make one wise. And so she's making a decision here purely based on her senses and not the word of God. It is the nature of the fall, the Genesis 3 fall, of which we all, we, we all inherit the brokenness that came about as a result of the fall. The very nature of the fall is that after it, Rather, before the fall, a man, a woman, Adam and Eve, their spiritual nature, their desire and love for God, ruled their senses, their touch, their eyes, their ears what they heard, their taste. But after the fall, what happened, everything got put on its head so that after the fall, fallen man, it's completely the other way around, that the senses rule everything else. And how sad is it when there is a child of God? Now, Samson was a child of God. And the message for you tonight is, are you have you become like a, Sa a, a Samson where while you made Jesus your Lord at some point in your life, if you really, really were honest with yourself, you've got things upside down again like they were before the fall where Really, you're ruled by your senses. Really, you are. What you want to hear, what you want to feel, the touch. What you want to hear, uh, what you want to hear, what you want to taste. And the life of Samson is, is just such such a great, great lesson to us. Remember, he was a child of God. And it may seem shocking when you see some of his behavior, but he was a child of God. 
and, and just never forget, he ends up having his eyes plucked out and having a building fall on top of him, dying. He, he, ha- he ends up having his eyes plucked out and being a slave to the enemy. That's what happens, Christian, when you allow yourself to be ruled by your senses rather than the other way around. But you know the wonderful thing about walking in the Spirit where you really are allowing the Spirit of God, God, it, it, it's like a return to the Garden of Eden in a sense to rule your senses. What you touch, what you see, everything, what you feel, what you hear, everything becomes so much more glorious and enjoyable. (laughs) And just allowing, you know, yes, that there's painful, it's pain crucifying the flesh from time to time. Uh, And actually a lot of times it's painful crucifying the flesh. But the wonderful thing is you can really enjoy what you touch and what you see and what you hear so much better. And Galatians chapter 5 says, says this, you know, it's, it's, this is written to, um, it's written to Christians, to Christians. It says, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh, flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And, and, and uh, man, when I think of those two verses, in many senses, I think about this whole story of Samson. He's a, he's a child of God. And the flesh lusted against the, the, the child of God that he was and won out almost every single time. Someone asked me this week, they texted me, what does it mean what does this verse mean? Someone texted me this verse. I said, what does this mean? Walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the, of the flesh. What walking in the spirit means, it's an, it's an attitude in which you're joyfully surrendered to God and his word. If that's your attitude, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So uh, here you have Samson, just right off the bat. And he goes to his parents and, uh, um, um, uh, at the end of, uh, of verse 3 and say, Get her for me, for she pleases me well. And but, Verse 4, But his father and mother did not know that it was, uh, was for the, the Lord, that he was seeking an occasion to move against the Philistines. For at that time the Philistines had dominion, um, over Israel. And so, you know, this can, this can get people's theology all tied up in a pretzel. You know, what the Lord is using, um, a, a sin, uh, the, in, in order for him to accomplish his will. Uh, no, he's not doing that at all. What the, what's happening here is, and again, we can only fully, only, the only one who can fully understand this is God in the mind of God, because there's this interesting thing between the sovereignty of God and the free will of man right here in this verse. Um, but um, what's going on here is that God knows Samson's heart. He knows 
that he is a man of the flesh. He, uh, he, he knows that. He knows what he's going to do. He knows full well that Samson's going to prevail over his parents. And, and Romans chapter 8, verse 28, all things work together for good to those who uh, love God and are the called according to his purpose. He's going to do it. He's going to uh, uh, accomplish it. There's another good example, by the way, in Second uh, Chronicles 26. You don't have to, to go there. Uh, but it, it says there that um, the Lord warned one of the kings, King Amaziah, who had already shown a penchant for worshiping other gods, and the enemy was approaching Judah, Jerusalem, uh, rather, it's the other way around. This king, this king Amaziah was going to go up and fight against uh, the northern uh, ten tribes in the north, so he was going to go fight another kingdom, um, and the Lord particular, specifically told him, verse 19 of Second Chronicles 25, stay at home. Why should you meddle with trouble? You're going to fail. And then it goes on to say, but the king would not obey, for it came from the Lord that he might give him into the hands of their enemies because Judah at the time was seeking the gods of Edom. See, and it's a similar thing, that God is actually going to use a man of the flesh here to bring... To bring about his will. To bring about his will. Now, in this, in this instance, unlike Second Chronicles, it's going to be the other way around. He's going to start, um, he's going to use it uh, for, for Israel to begin to defeat the Philistines. It's going to take a couple hundred years uh, for the Philistines to be uh, defeated. Uh, but, but again, it says that, you know, his mother and... Uh, he, his mother and father, their first reaction is, "Come on, can't you, can't you get one of your a child of uh, 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 of of God here, an Israelite? Must you go and get an uncircumcised Philistine?" And he says, "Get her for me." And his father and mother did not know that it was from the Lord because he was seeking an occasion to move against the Philistines, and so Samson went down to Timnah with his father and mother, and, and they shouldn't have. They, they should not have, have gone. Now, so the Lord knows about the so- whole situation. He knows, oh, here's yet another family where um, the kids rule the house, and oh, is this a, uh, this grieved my heart so tremendously when I see kids rule a Christian home. They, they, they rule a Christian home. I see it all the time. A kid's like, I, I got to play Pop Warner football. All my friends are, and it's on Sunday morning. No, no, can't you choose some other sport? No, I got, I, I, you're, I got to. And what do the parents do? They're driving their kids on Sunday morning to football. The kid rules the home. <laughs> and, and, and you see this. Uh, in, you see this in the body of, uh, of Christ, and it grieves my heart every time uh, I see it. Um, so it says, yes, yeah, Sam- Samson went down to Timnah, that's where this Philistine woman uh, lived, with his father and mother, and came to the vineyards of Timnah. Now, to his surprise, a young lion came roaring against him. Now, a lot of commentators read this, and 
and they're like, uh, okay, now, verse 5, what is he doing, like, hanging out in vineyards? He's not supposed to be, he, he's not supposed to, his whole life, even eat a grape. And, you know, if you're an alcoholic, you don't go walk into a bar and say, I'm going to get a Coke. Because that, that alcohol is flowing right near you. And, and he's, he, he's not supposed to be there. Uh, it's interesting to me that a young lion comes roaring against him. I personally feel like that's a warning from the Lord. Get away from these grapes. I can't tell you how many times this has happened to me in my life. I remember right after we got to Boston about 20 years ago, I was a very bad boy one time. I was um, with my three kids in the car and my beautiful wife, Stephanie, who's, who's always right. No, that's not true. She's not going to want me to say something like that. But we were having a disagreement, and I, I was just so upset at her. I'm in the car and in track traffic on Melnia Cass, no more than a half a mile away from here. And I just, I'm in the car and I said, that's it. I'm just not going to talk to you anymore. That second, the engine turned off. I mean, right that second. The engine turned off that very second. And of course, I knew exactly. Like, there's no explanation. The car just went off. I knew that was from the Lord. And of course, she could, I don't know if she even remembers this, but she she was like barely could contain herself from laughing because, you know, she knows what's going on too. And, and of course, the Lord was merciful and somehow, well, I think we just had to wait and use her AAA car, card to come and, and get a, a truck, you know. So it's very, very humbling. But this will happen. God loves you. You're, you're, you're walking into a place you're not supposed to be. And all of a sudden, you know, a car swerves around and almost hits you. And, and, and when something like that happens, please stop. Okay, I, I knew I was getting into dangerous territory, like what's going on here? Uh, I, I, and just heed and turn around and go the other way. Turn around and go the other way. The Lord is gracious to do this so much. But he, he, the, the amazing thing is he's also merciful. Verse 6 says that, and the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon Samson, and he tore the lion apart as one would have torn apart a young goat, though he had nothing in his hand. But he did not tell his father or his mother what he had done. Now, some people think that he had left his father and mother, and he had gone into the vineyards, and he was like eating grapes. And that's why his father and mother weren't there. And he didn't want to tell him, he didn't want to tell him what he was doing or what happened. There's a warning that he got from the Lord. He didn't tell him um, what he did. But it's it's interesting, just the, the mercy of the Lord, huh? That he had this he had this young lion come up roaring as as a warning. What are you doing here? But you know he was merciful. He he didn't let the lion rip him uh, rip him apart. It was the other way around. Verse 7, then he went down and talked with the woman, and she pleased Samson well. Interesting thing about this woman who he winds up marrying, we never find out her name. We do find out about uh, another Philistine woman uh, by the name of Delilah, but we never uh, find out about who this woman's name was. 
Verse 8, and after uh, some time when he returned to get her, he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. Now, what's the problem with that? Someone just yell it out. It's a, it's a dead body. Wait a second. You, you're, you're under a Nazarite vow. That's where your power uh, comes from, as we'll see more. What are you doing going and looking at a dead thing and, or, or even getting near it? And it says here that, uh, and behold, a swarm of bees and honey were in the carcass of the lion. He took some of it in his hand and went along, eating. When he came to his father and mother, he gave some to them, and they also ate. But he did not tell them he had taken the honey out of the carcass of the lion. Are you getting the picture? This guy completely lives by his senses, like 100%. It's all about what he feels. And... He has an advantage over most people because he's like a big, huge dude. You know, when you're a big, huge, muscular dude, you can get away with so many things that other, other people may not be able to get away with. I mean, for example, you know, a big old dude can come up to someone and be incredibly rude to them. Other people wouldn't want to do that because they'd be scared, but... Um, you know, a big, big old dude can actually do stuff like this. And, and uh, Samson, he was just like that. He, 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 he's getting away with uh, uh, things. I think he, he's got really weak-minded uh, weak parents, um, it appears. And um, he's just like doing whatever. And he's sinning himself. He's actually um, not touching a dead body, but eating stuff from it. And, and then he just brings his, uh, you know, his parents into the same thing because, uh, you know, that would have made them unclean uh, as well. Though they were not under a Nazarite vow, it still would have made them unclean. Um, if you want to get into the real nitty-gritty of the details from the book of Numbers, you, you uh, and Leviticus, I think, but... Um, Anybody was allowed to touch an, an unclean thing, but they were unclean till evening, and they only got clean after washing. Nazarites were different. They could never, under any circumstances, touch a dead body, uh, even if it was their father or mother. Uh, they could never, under any circumstances. So there's a distinction between Samson and his parents, but he doesn't tell them that he just made them unclean. Verse 12, then, uh, oh no, back up. Verse 10, so his father went down to the woman, and Samson gave a feast there for young men used to do so. It's an interesting verse. Young men used to do so. I guess when they're interested in the woman and uh, trying to uh, just show hospitality to the people, uh, who were friends with the woman or the community. Verse 11, and it happened when they saw him that they brought 30 companions to be with him. The very, very one, there's so many strange things about Samson, right? But one of the, maybe to me, the, the weirdest thing about Samson, he's just always alone. His, uh, meaning, uh, he doesn't have any other children of Israel around him. Like Ever. I, I, he, he's always alone, and, and they, um, they literally have to, to bring in friends for him. 
you know, if this guy's going to marry this woman, we got to bring him some friends, you know. And uh, this is a whole sermon in and of itself. Do not forsake the fellowshipping with one another as some are in the habit of doing. I mean, it's so important to be around the body of Christ. Yeah, if, if all your friends are unbelievers, that is indeed a problem. And, and it, 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 he was just always, always on his own, this guy. And, and uh, Neil Livingstone, who gave the men's retreat last year, he was one of, um, he shared with us Proverbs 18.1, a man who isolates himself, seeks his own desire, that can certainly be said of Samson, and he rages against all wise judgment. Oh, how thankful I am for the men of God I, uh, that uh, are in my life that um, show me when I'm doing things wrong. The men and women, actually, that show me, well, hey, look, w- w- why did you do this? But he, this guy, it, it, this is like a cocktail for a disaster, right? I mean, not only is he a, very, a guy who just lives for his feelings, doing whatever his feelings are telling him to do, he also has no fellowship. He's got no faithful are the wounds of a friend. He's, he's got no one who will faithfully wound him and say, hey, Samson, what are you doing? He's always by himself. A very, very interesting character here that Samson is. So they bring him 30 friends, uh, verse 11. And then uh, it says in verse 12, and Samson said to them, let me pose a riddle to you. I think this is kind of a, a window into the culture at the time. I, I mean, if I got a bunch of guys were hanging out, I don't know, in Boston at a bar somewhere, and someone goes, hey, let me show a riddle. Everyone, let me tell you a riddle. Everyone would probably be looking at him like he's nuts. Um, but this is, gives you a window into their culture. Uh, they were into riddles. If you can correctly solve and explain it to me within the seven days of the feast, then I will give you 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothing. But if you cannot explain it to me, then you will, shall give me 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothing. And they said to him, pose your riddle that we may hear it. So he said to them, out of the eater came something to eat, and out of the strong came something sweet. Of course, he's talking about the lion that had honey in it. Now, for, the three, for three days, they could not explain the riddle. I wonder why. I mean, this is like impossible. How, who, who in the world is going to be able to solve this riddle unless someone tells them what the solution is? Verse 15, but it came to pass on the... Uh, on the seventh day, so this wedding feast was seven days, and it is true that Jewish uh, wedding feasts, wedding c- celebrations were seven days, so it's, it's unclear if the Philistines had the same uh, kind of um, tradition. But on the seventh day, sort of the last day of this wedding feast, a seven-day feast, they said to Samson's wife, Entice your husband that he may explain the riddle to us, or else we will burn you and your father's house with fire. Have you invited us in order to take what is ours? Is that not so? So you're just getting a picture into what life was like during the time of the judges. I mean, it's 
This is what the nations did. This is why God told them in the book of Deuteronomy and also in Joshua, you go in and you displace, dispossess all those nations. Because this is the type of stuff they do. It's like nothing. We're going to burn you and everyone in your house as you tell us what this riddle is. Have you invited, uh, invited us in order to take what is ours? In other words, you invite us to our wedding only to have our garments taken away from us. Verse 16, then Samson's wife wept on him and said, you only hate me. You do not love me. You have posed a riddle to the sons of my people, but you have not explained it to me. And he said to her, look, I have not even explained it to my father or my mother. So should I explain it to you? This is what happens when you marry an unbeliever. Oh, they're so nice in that courting period. But it's usually only a matter of time where the tables turn. Verse 17, now she had wept on him. The seven days while their feast lasted. And it happened on the seventh day that he told her because she pressed him so much. Uh, he loved women, but he didn't like nagging women. Or when those really beautiful women nagged him. So uh, then she explained the riddle to the sons of her people. So the men of the city said to him on the seventh day before the sun went down, What is sweeter than honey and what is stronger than a lion? So that was the answer to the riddle. And Samson said to them, if you had not plowed with my heifer, heifer is a female cow. I never call your wife that. Um, that's like a bad idea. But Samson could get away with anything. If you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have solved my riddle. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily, and he went down to Ashkelon and killed 30 of their men, took their apparel, and gave the changes of clothing to those who had explained the riddle. So his anger was aroused, and he went back up to his father's house. And Samson's wife was given to his companion, who had been his best man. So, ang so he was so angry, he like took off. He's like, enough of this woman. She had, they had had the ceremony, though. She was still his wife. Verse 20 gives you a picture of the value of marriage in the Philistine community. She was just given to another man. Chapter 15, verse 1, and after a while. So uh, some time goes by. In the time of the wheat harvest, so it's probably one or two seasons. May, may have been even more than a year, but uh, uh, in the time of the wheat harvest, it happened that Samson visited his wife with a young goat. So he was in Israel, and he remembers the beauty of this woman, her sensuality. He was bored by the Israelite women. I don't know, maybe they dressed too modestly or whatever. They were taking on a lot of the customs of the people around them, but they, they weren't good enough for him. So he went back to, um, to this woman who he had left. He brought a little goat, and he said to her father, let me go into my wife into a room, but her father would not permit him to do it. Her father said, I really thought that you thoroughly hated her. Therefore, I gave her to your companion, meaning his best man. Oh, my. 
Is not her younger sister better than she? Please take her instead. So, I mean, when you have like a muscle man named, you know, named Samson uh, coming at you like this guy had, he's like, oh, no. Oh, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. Maybe, maybe, you know, he'll take, um, he'll take my, my younger daughter. Now, remember, he, this guy knew that this man went down to Ashkelon and just killed 30 men and stole their garments. He knew, he knew what Samson was capable of. So this is what he does. Verse 3 says, uh, uh, verse 3 it says, and, and, and Samson said to them, this time I shall be blameless regarding the Philistines if I harm them. So he's furious at this news that, uh, he's furious at this news that his wife had been given away. Some scholars think he had also given them a dowry money, uh, as is the custom uh, in some cultures where uh, the, the, the groom, the family of the groom gives the family of the bride money. I, I, you know, we don't know about that, but he's angry. Verse 4, then Sam- Samson went and caught 300 foxes, and he took torches, turned the foxes tail to tail, and put a torch between each pair of tails. He's just like an interesting guy, isn't he? He like says riddles and he grew up doing like unusual things like figuring out how to tie foxes together. I think it's probably some kind of thing he figured out when he was 12 years old. Uh, You know, and uh, I mean, you would think he could just go into the different fields and like take take a torch. I don't know, maybe that would take too long, but you would think it would take a long time to catch 300 foxes. Uh, but that's what he does. Um, and so, verse 5, when he had set the torches on fire, he, set the, uh, he let the foxes go into the standing grain of the Philistines and burned up both the shocks and the standing grain as well as the vineyards and olive groves. Then the Philistines said, who has done this? And they said, Samson, the son-in-law of the Timnite, because he has taken his wife and giving her to his companion. So the Philistines came up and burned her and her father with fire. So again, uh, that's a sobering verse. That's what the nations were like who surrounded Israel. That's why when you read uh, the book of Deuteronomy and it says, go in and wipe them all out, I know unbelievers protest greatly with verses like that, but they failed to read stuff like this. This is what they were like. And so, uh, verse 7, Samson said to them, since you would do a thing like this, I will surely take revenge on you, and after that I will see. So he's mad at her, his wife, he's mad at her father, but you burn them. Oh man, you get some pain coming from Samson. So he attacked them, hip and thigh, with a great slaughter. Then he went down and dwelt in the cleft of the rock of Etam. So he, there was a great slaughter there. It doesn't tell us how many people were slaughtered. 
but just such an unusual guy. Then he just goes into a place and just hangs out by himself. He's this lonely, isolated guy who just lives according to the f- his flesh. He av- apparently just completely avoids people. It's fascinating character. Verse 9, Now the Philistines went up and encamped in Judah and deployed themselves against Lehi. And the men of Judah said, Why have you come up against us? So they answered, We have come up again to arrest Samson, to do to him as he has done to us. Then 3,000 men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock of Etam and said to Samson, Do you not know that the Philistines rule over us? What is this that you have done to us? Now, if you think back, you see, there, there really is a progression in the book of Judges. Israel just gets lower and lower and lower and lower. And, you know, Gideon, he ended, you know, he finished his life not in a very good way. But what happened when Gideon went to war? Others willingly went with him and even complained when he didn't ask them not to go with him. Same thing with Jephthah. You know, Jephthah didn't have to fight alone. Others willingly came to, to fight with him. But here you have Israel in such a low state, it's like I'd rather just be comfortable and enslaved you kind of get the picture here of how low the nation has gotten that they just want to go get samson and turn him over to the philistines because in an earlier generation in an earlier generation they may have been rejoicing and say okay samson lead us into battle let's end this philistine oppression these people who go out and burn people they don't like Let's, let's defeat them. This is how low they've gotten. It's a sad, sad thing when a Christian is so used to a defeated life, they don't even want, they don't even jump at the opportunity to, to get out of it. What shall we say then? If God is for us, who can be against us? Romans 8.31. I love that verse. I think it's Isaiah where, where the Lord says, Is my arm too short for anything? Is anything too impossible? Is anything impossible for me? Yet Christians will just stay in this place because they're so used to defeat, they don't know anything better. If you have a brother or sister like that in the Lord, pray for them. Pray that they would understand. It's the promises of God. If God is for us, who can be against us? So 3,000 men, they go to arrest Samson. And they say, what is this, Samson, that you have done to us? And Samson said to them, As they did to me, so I've done to them. (laughs) He just, you know, he he, he just has this way about him. Verse 12, but they said to him, we have come down to arrest you that we may deliver you into the hand of the Philistines. Then Samson said to them, swear to me that you will not kill me yourself. So they spoke to him saying, no, but... We will tie you securely and deliver you into the hand 
into their hand, but we will surely not kill you. And they bound him with two new ropes and brought him up with the rock. When he had come to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting against him. Then the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and the ropes that were on his arms became like flax that it burned with fire, and his bonds broke loose from his hand, and he saw a fresh, he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey. He reached out his hand and he took it and killed a thousand men with it. And what does he do right after he kills a thousand men? Oh, praise the Lord, you've given me great deliverance. No. Verse 16 says, Samson said, with the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps, with the jawbone of a donkey, I have slain a thousand men. So he has to come up with his own sort of victory song now. And one thing that I have found uh, in my own life, if I start getting credit, giving credit to myself or thinking I'm something, oh man, God will chasten me until he gets the glory. And that's exactly what God did with Samson. It says in verse 17, so it was when he had finished speaking that he threw the jawbone from his hand and called that place Ramath Lehi, heap of, of jawbones. Verse 18, but then he became very thirsty. And that thirst was from the Lord who had not been given glory. God seeks to see his glory incredible divine providential El Shaddai power he's seeking to see his own glory in your life and he will have his way with you he will have his way he, whom he predestines he calls whom he calls he justifies whom he justifies he glorifies he, it, it, please don't let it be when you die that you finally Reflect the glory of God. Allow the Lord to have, his, to have his way with you so that you're glorifying him in your life. And so that's what happens. The Lord makes him very thirsty. Samson becomes very thirsty. So he cried out to the Lord and said, you have, you, you have given this great deliverance. <laughs> See how the Lord brought him to that place? By the hand of your servant, and now shall I die of thirst and fall into the hand of the uncircumcised? So God, this is, by the way, there's only two prayers, only two times that Samson talked to God. This was the uh, first time he was about to die. It took that, took, that, <laughs> took that long, took that. The second time is right before he dies. Verse 19, so God split the hollow place that is in Lehi, and water came out, and he drank, and his spirit returned, and he revived. Therefore, he called its name Enhankore, which is in Lehi to this day. Enhankore means spring of the collar, meaning Samson called out, and a spring was made. And then it says, verse 20, and Samson judged Israel 20 years in the days of the Philistines. I think the commentators are right. It's, it's an odd placement of this, you know, of, this, of this verse because it's not the end of Samson's life. And the exact same thing uh, is said 
at the end of chapter 16, which is the end of the story of Samson. I think that the commentators are right who say that the reason uh, that it's stated here is that this is the beginning where he officially begins to judge Israel, is after this victory, uh, this great victory. So our time is up. I just, um, we're going to going to go to a time of prayer. Eddie, if, if you could go here. But I do want to end the message in this way. You know, why in the world? Uh, I hope you're asking the question, why in the world would God use someone like Samson? I mean, the guy just lives according to the flesh. He is, he's just seems addicted to sensuality. He doesn't seem to have a spiritual molecule in his body. Why does God use a guy like this? And I was just asking the Lord that. And I just, again, I, I just really feel like it speaks to the grace of God for his people. For his people. The, it, um, that it says, um, I put on the projection screen the other day, I think it's in Isaiah, where it says, what, or no, it's in, I think it's in Jeremiah. Whenever his people are afflicted, God is afflicted. And we read earlier in the book of Judges that one time their misery got so much the Lord's soul could no longer bear it. But there's no one. Uh, Samson's, <laughs> Samson's the best one around to be able to do it. At the time of the Middle Ages, the church was in such a low place where the Catholic Church was going around and selling indulgences and people, uh, those were, you know, y you buy... Um, Someone comes into the town, a, a cardinal or a bishop or someone like that represent, representing the pope, used to come into town and say, this is a piece of the robe of Jesus. If you buy it for this amount of money, um, your Uncle Freddy will have 10,000 years less in purgatory. And, and they were very uneducated people. And God loves the poor. And they used to buy, buy these things. It was just rampant at the time. There was a practice called simony, which means... You, someone could just buy a bishopric, meaning a, that's what they were called, uh, being a, bi a bishop, the office of a bishop. They could just buy it. Can you imagine being ruled over by someone who bought their position? And the reason they did is because large fields and properties were associated with bishops. It was a terrible time, and God brought Martin Luther. And he was a tremendously flawed man. I mean, the things that he said about Jews were so horrible that I think if you talk to most historians, they'll, they'll, they, uh, many historians, they'll tell you that it had influence on Nazi Germany. He was a, you know, overdrank on a regular basis. He had this thing where, you know, p someone would be, so okay, recite the Lord's Prayer and I'm going to have these two pints mug of beer by the time you finish the Lord's pray, uh, prayer. This is Martin Luther. But they were at a very low point, and God's going to use uh, Martin Luther because he loves his people. And even more so, he loves his son. And the purpose of the church is for the bride of Christ to be... To, to God is preparing a bride for his, his son... He's willing to use 
willing to use a Samson. He's willing to use a Luther. Of course, Luther has a long, long, very different than Samson. He has a long, long list of unbelievable things that he did that were spectacular. And, and I didn't even have time to recite uh, even a, a hundredth of them. I mean, it was just amazing what that guy did. But he was a flawed man. But, but the Lord loves his people. And 